There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. Now, if you're a fan of Secure the Insecure, you'd have heard a couple of episodes ago from Junior Hansen. She was talking about Channel 4's A Police in the Sun when they did that all-black episode for Channel 4's special Black to Front Day. Jean, she was a kids presenter and went to A Place in the Sun, and the same thing has happened to my guest this week. Now, A Place in the Sun is hosted by Jean, it's hosted by my friend Scarlett Douglas, and they've got a brand new lady and someone who I've got so much respect for. With a career that started in the music industry before moving to kids TV and late night TV, I'm delighted to welcome to this week's episode singer, presenter and mental health ambassador for Bipolar UK, Leah Charles-King. Hello, Leah. Hey, Johnny. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited. Right, people who listen to this podcast know I'm the biggest fan when it comes to kids TV and late night TV and you tick those two boxes. <laughs> I certainly do. I've had my fail of both, um, I think it's safe to say, right? Which is amazing because, do you know what? You had the best training grant. How else are you supposed to develop if you're not doing live, unscripted TV, if you're having to talk for hours on end and just be able to communicate to an audience that you don't necessarily know who your audience really is? Do you know what? I'm so glad that you've identified and respect that. Because presenters like myself, what I call old school presenters, and those are the ones who come from the principle of kids TV or live TV, we're becoming very rare now. Not many people sort of recognise that or respect it anymore. So the people that do, thank you. Because, yeah, it's a hard discipline. Live TV, unscripted, unrehearsed, you know, filling hours of, yeah, live airtime is a really difficult job. But if you could do it and you could do it successfully, then it's a great skill to have. And I have to say, most of my career... Um, for 20 odd years has been live TV so it's put me in good stead at least I think well, I think if I don't, just to pick up on what you said, just a really, really quick tangent. If those are interested in the idea of unscripted TV, is to read Philip Schofield's autobiography. I think it's called Life's a Scope, which 
last year he spoke about why the puppet came about because it had eight minutes to fill and there was no program and he he found a glove and thought well that can be a puppet i've got all these letters let's make that into a segment that became eight minutes and from there we obviously had the broom cupboard and cbbc launched uh television center nine which had cbbc in one and two continuity and then citv launched on itv That's right. It's unbelievable, isn't it? The whole format, you know, the way kids' TV was, especially back then. But yeah, exactly what he said. <laughs> I, I'm such a fan of it. So before we get, to, I want to talk to you about kids' TV, but let's go back a little bit more because you started in the music industry in the 90s in a girl band called Quiche. So I suppose the question is, how did you find that time? Now that we know, in hindsight, what we've seen about the Me Too movement in the music industry, what we've seen about racism in the music industry, what was your experiences like? The music industry for me was its interesting because on one hand it was completely innocent in a way of, I didn't experience racism in the industry, for example. I was just in the in a girl band with my cousins, we're all first cousins. And do you remember the Honeys? Oh, I know you're all really into music as well. Right, so the lead singer of the Honeys, Selena, that's my other first cousin. And Candy, who's in Cliché, they're sisters. So we all started off as a four-piece. Selena got a gig, I think. That's how she met Neyman. And she, it was a, a, a gig, I think, for Disney or something. And she went off. And the three of us continued as a, as a you know, three-piece girl band. And then we got signed. And, I mean, the dark side of the industry then for us was that we had people saying to Alani, the lead singer, oh, you don't need the others. You're the strongest voice. You're better by yourself. You know, so it caused divisions and things like that. So we had that dark side of the industry. And also, the other side was our contract. Um, by the time we were dropped, like most girl and boy bands at the end of the 90s, early 90s, we were left with thousands and thousands, thousands of pounds worth of debt, probably about £100,000 worth of debt. And at the age of 18 or something like that, which I was at the time, I was just devastating. And so, you know, that is how I remember starting my adult life. Before that, I was just in a girl band and I thought that was going to make me rich and famous and I was living a dream because I've been doing it as a kid, hanging in front of the mirror with your hairbrush, as you do, and now, you you know, you're in music videos and you're doing all these amazing things and you're seeing these amazing things and you're touring and you just, it, it's just like a, a, a dream. It's just the way it's supposed to be. But actually, there's this parallel side that wasn't good and... Um, Obviously, my adult life then started a bit dark, but I didn't recognise those things at the time, though, Johnny. Only looking back and as you grow and as you do work on yourself, and I know we're going to talk about my mental health a bit later on in the discussion, but, you know, looking back and, like I said, doing all the work, I've now learned to see where all those those holes, those jabs, I guess, those, those things, fractures came from as to, you know, fast forward, how it ended up, having a nervous breakdown you know it all started little 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 and it it rolls into one big ball and then one day that's it how does it make you look at the music industry then do you see it as a business or did you see it as a passion to songwrite to sing that's heartfelt with emotion it was a passion i mean we were 12 13 years old singing at a family party when we got discovered this was just you know we were kids who when we got together at family dues, the family were always getting together and we come from a massive family. And there are loads of us who sing and dance, not just the four of us, there are loads of us. And 
it was just a case of, oh, cousins all together, okay, and we do plays and we make up songs and perform them for the family. So when we then, you know, they said, all oh, these girls have something. And then, you know, we went into rehearsals and then we eventually ended up getting signed when we were about 16, something like that. This was all just like, wow to us. I mean, we wanted to be on Vogue and TLC. <laughs> you know what I mean? This was like, this was just wow for us. And, and it was all very innocent in the beginning. Like I said, it wasn't until as we got older and you start looking at everything, you don't even realise what you're in. So when I look at it, it's with fond memories in a way, but also a bit dark as well, just because it just wasn't always nice. Well, you were chasing those waterfalls, trying to be like TLC, but did that have to? <laughs> I, I see. I, I've got the kids. I've got the kids presenter inside <laughs> me. You do. You do. You've missed the calling somewhere. I'm sorry. We need to like start a YouTube channel for you or something where you're just doing kids telly type stuff. <sighs> That would be the joke. Do you know, oh, I we're going to go on such a tangent, and we're going to get back to it, but when I used to walk home from school, I swear on my life, this is the most embarrassing thing, but I think because you're a presenter, you know this, is I used yeah. to walk home from school, and I used to talk to myself pretending I was on CBBC. So I used to do a menu of what's coming up today, and it took me about eight minutes to do a menu on the way home. And I used to go, I'm going to be in the kitchen later, and then I'd cook, and I'd pretend I'm in the kitchen doing a demo. I was a CBBC boy, so I was always like blue peter or exchange so i would get all the pots out and i'd put everything in little ramekins of the you know the herbs and spices and whatever and i used to go right and now we're gonna put 50 grams of oats in and we're gonna do this i used to talk to myself that's literally how i grew up oh my god you really should have been a kids telly presenter that is in you and i really truly believe that when people have something in them like that you know that, that was in you from a young age you deserve that Surely, it's not over. It's not over. It's, do you know what? It's all I know. Uh, generally, being, uh, being deadly serious, it is all I know. That's My life was watching CBBC and CITV every day after school from 3.30 to 6 o'clock wow. without fail. And uh, being across everything, being across the presenting lineup, continuity, the behind wow. the scenes, the programmes. Ch- ch- I remember the biggest thing for me was when Michael Underwood and Liam Dolan left CBBC to go to CITV. That, to me, was like breaking news. <laughs> Yeah, I, can't I, make it up. I can't make it up. No, my God, this is brilliant. You can't, but look at you now. That's the beauty. You're actually in the game. You are doing it. You may not have been a kid's presenter yet because I've still got hope. It's not over for you. Well, but, the... you know, you're in the game, so your foot is in the door. The world's your oyster. Yeah, but the problem is, I live like I'm six years old. I mean, the, the, if you go on my podcast, the, the episodes we've had are with Kirsten O'Brien and Angelica Bell and Junior Hanson. All we're doing is talking about CBBC, but the three of us all just get really excited as well. <laughs> so I want to come to CITV in a sec but I just want to know who asked this is all to do with you chasing waterfalls because it was such a cliche thing to say um, did, did you have to grow up quickly then because you were kind of like you said you were 12, 13 years old you'd gone from being in a family to being signed to you know touring and being around adults actual adults who are making decisions for you that you were involved in things that you had to naturally grow up yeah honestly it was like that I feel like I've already had about 10 careers in a short lifetime, you know? And, and it's, it's funny, but I can't really explain that to somebody. And I wouldn't naturally, even in a conversation, drop that. But as we're in this conversation now, and I'm making an effort to be present, I, w- I would say that and be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. I had to grow up quickly. And, you know, all of this I experienced before even getting into TV, and that was 22 years ago. Imagine... 
what, what do you think you've missed out on? I feel technically young, but I feel like I'm a very old lady sometimes. Uh, do you know what I feel? I'm I just turned twenty nine and I feel old and I feel like oh my god I'm too old I can't do anything now my career's I've not had a, I've I've got a different type of career to the one I thought I was going to have and that's absolutely yeah. fine and I've had the imp- imposter syndrome but also I know I'm not going to make it because I'm too old and I'm twenty nine and a male. Nah, I think do you know what? If I said that to myself, Johnny, which I did every day for years until recent times, then I wouldn't even be here talking to you. I can't co-sign what you just said. I know on paper, and I know what the world tells us, oh, he's 29, he's too old, he's too this, he's too that, he can't, he can't, he can't. I would say the same thing to myself all the time. But then, look at where I am now. I didn't expect to even be here having this conversation. I don't want to pull doom and gloom on this, but I mean really not be here to have this conversation and to be a memory because the the mental health impact um, on my life, because of the sacrifices in the industry and whatever. But if I, if we believe everything our mind tells us, then, I mean, I'm like the new host of A Place in the Sun. Who would have thought it? Like, this is, like hello? Ask me a year ago and I would have, I was just about hanging on for dear life. And that is the truth. So I can't co-sign what you said. In a very positive spin, anything can happen. It's never too late. You could be, I'm telling you. If that whole kids TV thing, you never know. It could be a one-off thing. It could be doing the, if it's a BBC bedtime story or something, just one little thing could change your life that you get a taste of that kids TV dream. And I hope you get it, you know. I really do because I like meeting people like you who so infused by TV. Exactly how I used to be as well. And I still am. But so infused by TV, especially kids TV, and just loves it and knows so much about it. And you could just, you have a conversation with people like yourself and it comes every once in a while that you just go, God, they really should have been a kid's telly. They know more than I do. <laughs> I hope you get that moment. Well, uh, I don't know too much. I don't know what goes into the gunge. Pull it like that. I've had a lot of gunge on me over the years uh, when I used to do kids' TV and I've, I don't know what's in that gunge, but it takes an hour to get off. It's gross, isn't it? And it's you know horrible. that the, the custard pies are never custard pies. They're always shaven pies. I remember on Exchange, Ade Adapterton poured baked beans on my head and I thought it can't be real baked beans and it was real baked beans and I had to go home yeah. smelling of real baked beans all over me. Gross. I remember one time on CITV, the kids had to call in to put us through dares and this is when Michael Underwood and I were presenting. They would always vote for me to do the scariest, grossest things because they knew I would scream the loudest and <laughs> the typical. I remember one time they dared me to eat beans prawns and chocolate spreads all mixed together it's disgusting oh see that's kids tv that's good this is what we need to do we need to bring back kids tv and especially it's just saturday morning tv like where's the live and kickings and the ministry of mayhems uh, well for me snTV was always the best i just love that you know that was so 90s and so much fun and i loved snTV and of course live and kicking when i was much younger well, the problem is, so I watched SMT, they did the reunion for SMTV last year, and I thought, oh, I missed out. You know, chums, I would have been all over, but at the time, I missed out because I was such a pure CBBC boy. Oh, you missed out. I know. I'm playing catch-up now. I was watching you earlier on, before we recorded an interview, I was watching yeah. you on YouTube doing CITV, and I'm very close with Andy J, who was on it just after you. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So that whole world I was watching, I thought, oh. God, I've missed out big time. All those stuff that you did from Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, that's where we filmed it. 
And obviously we had the television centre down here. So look, we're going on a such tangent. So basically the question I want to get back to, which this is all kind of tied in, is what do you think you missed out on in your childhood, growing up in your teen years? What did you sacrifice at that point? First of all, I'm really impressed that after our tangent, you still remembered your question. <laughs> right. I, need to, I need to give you a bit of a clap there. What do I feel like I missed out? Well, I tell you what, I definitely missed out on learning how to ride a bike because I was always in a rehearsal room or singing or dancing, some kind of dance class or something as a kid. So, yeah, I still, and Candy as well, another member of the group, she can't ride a bike either. <laughs> something as simple as that. I try not to live my life with regrets. I don't feel like there's anything I missed. I believe that my life has panned out and is panning out the way that it's supposed to. And it's as simple as that. I can learn to ride a bike. I've had all these years. But I quite like being able to say that I can't ride a bike because it's so pathetic, you know? <laughs> Maybe one day I'll get round to it. Yeah, but now you've got Pelotons, you don't even need to ride the bike anyway. You just have to pe- know how to pedal. <laughs> You're a funny guy. <laughs> I try, I try. So, look, let's get to it then. You joined CITV at a crucial time, the peak of CBBC Children's TV 2001-2004 era before it stopped being envisioned. You know, continuity was at its peak yeah, then, and then it went era. all green yeah. screen, and it went all voiceover, and live TV for kids just stopped suddenly after, you know, CITV got their own channel, CBC got their own channel. So how did you get involved in the channel? Before it went digital and it went on the channels, I was a proper old school CITV presenter. So it was three o'clock afternoon, switch on the TV on ITV. And there I was saying, hello, kitty. And, you know, you do the birthday cards, you'd have like the preschool bit, and then you'd have the more sort of older kids for CITV. And... It was after the group, actually. I remember that was my first stint of consciously being depressed and not really knowing the feelings of depression and not even knowing what depression was or that it was a thing. Um, But I was that. And it was after the group, obviously. Because remember, I thought the group, that would be my life. I didn't ever expect to ever have to consider any other career choice. You know, I was young, obviously. Like I said, got signed as kids, so... To me, that was it. We're making it. So when that group ended, that was like my first relationship. It felt like a, what I believe now to feel like a marriage when it's over. It was the most painful thing. And I remember just being very depressed. But before that, and doing all the interviews when we were in the band, I always used to look at all the presenters, especially when we used to go on MTV. And I'd look at Richard Blackwood and G-Star Palm and Donna Air on like MTV Selects and all of that and go, gosh, their job looks so cool. And being a presenter then wasn't a thing. You either wanted to be a singer, a sports person, or an actor or something. So presenting wasn't actually a career in a sense. It was, if you were, you were a news person or a journalist. It wasn't like, you know, how it is now. And um, I just remember looking at them thinking that they were really cool and that if ever I wasn't in a band, that's the kind of job I'd like to be doing. And when I was in the band, I was always the spokesperson. I was always the one who spoke up in the interviews and always knew the right things to say and all the rest of it. So it felt like naturally that's what I would like to get into when the band ends. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And I remember depression got in the way for a bit. But then one day I was sitting and, and an advert popped up and said, we're looking for CIP presenters. It could be you. Saw this advert coming up for months. Honestly, it was repeated for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I was like, should I? Should I? Nah, nah. Why would they want me? You know, I was depressed. Like I said, so everything was negative. There's just no way I was ever going to get this. On the very last day, I decided to send a tape, and it was a VHS. That's how far back we're going, buddy. I sent in that VHS and forgot about it, carried on living in my depression. And I don't know, weeks, months later, I can't remember. I remember it was a long time. I got this call going, hi, Mir, it's Steve Bride from CITV. Now, Steve Bride was the producer who also did the voiceovers of the animated car. So I thought it was a joke. I was like, nah, they're taking the mic, they're mocking. <laughs> this isn't true. And I ignored the call. And they called me back about two times before I believed them. I then got invited to an audition in Birmingham, did the audition. And they invited me back um, for the shortlist of about, I don't know, I think there's about 20 or 30 of us. And they put us all in a hotel in Birmingham. It was in like the travel lodge or something across the road from the studio. Loads of us all sharing rooms. And then they put us through our papers for about a week's worth of auditions and filmed it like a pop star's arrival type vibe. And then they made the kids vote. And all the kids voted for me. And ta-da, that's how I got into it. 
I love this because obviously, like you said, you co-hosted with Michael Underwood. Michael did the same thing for CBBC, which Gabby Roslin hosted of finding CBBC presenter, and right. it was that. And then uh, Blue Peter have done that since uh, Eamon Holmes was one of the judges, which is how Lindsay Russell got on Blue Peter around ooh, about 2012, I think. But this thing that the kids have got the power all through the decades. Yeah. So we've got an example from the 90s and noughties and the tens where you've got kids having that power and yet you know that you're going to get some accomplishment because it's not just a producer it's actually the kids that's the audience that's the people who are buying into you and they've bought into you so that must have helped your mental health because you knew you'd been accepted well absolutely i think for me then the the, the depression wasn't because i felt unaccepted in any way you know one hand i just come out of a girl band and hey, you know, the ego was intact. That was the issue, so the ego is now broken. It was more a case of, oh, my gosh, this is so embarrassing. We've lost our record deal. I've let my family down. My life is over, you know? That was more the thoughts that were going through my head. Um, getting CITV was a new lease of life. It was like, okay, this is something that actually I could be good at because did I have the strongest voice in the band? No, I didn't, but I did bring something to the band. And obviously I could sing much better back then than I can now. I don't sing at all now. I was able then to just rely on myself as a presenter and develop my own skills and carve out a whole new career. And so up until I got into presenting, I felt accepted. That was the thing. It was actually later on in the industry, in the media industry, that's when I started realising that perhaps I wasn't as accepted as I thought I was. So when I became the first black female continuity presenter on CITV in its 20-year history, for example, that was a major pat on the back for me. That was a major pat on the back for everyone. That was a victory. That was nothing to be offended by. I was just super happy. And, and you know what? The kids voted me in. Where... The industry let me down where my eyes started opening in the media industry now at this point was because we have those two camps now, whispering to Angelica and whispering to me. And Angelica and I had never met each other, but yet we were propelled to each other as enemies. And for years we hated each other and we'd never spoken a day in our lives. And people from CBBC would come to me and say, oh, Angelica said this about you, she said that about you. People who also had worked at CITV and was working at CBBC or a bit of both, you know, very small industry, will go to her and say, Leah says this about you. She says that you copy her clothes and you're copying her hairstyles and you're doing this, doing that. So Angelica and I hated each other for years. And this is a well-known story. You know, we talk about this openly and we laugh about this because we were sworn enemies because she was a black girl over there. I was a black girl. And of course, there couldn't be two successful black women doing the same thing. They have to hate each other. They have to be enemies. And we were young. We were kids. We fell into it. We believed it. And then one day we met at the children's bastards and Angelica came marching up to me going, what's all this? Hearing that you, you're you saying that I copy your hairstyle and I copy your clothes. And I was like, well, yes, you do. And then she was like, yeah, but you're cooler than me anyway. And we laughed. We laughed. We laughed. And we realized we've been had. We realized that the industry have been using us against each other, which is something that industries and workplaces and people in general have been doing to black people, and particularly in this case, black women, for years, for centuries. It was nothing new, but it was new to us, and we fell for it. But ever since that day, Angelica and I have been to the closest of friends, and we're still friends now. So 
that was a big lesson very early on, actually. And so since then, I've never and never will ever feel a jealousy or get pulled into that, um, particularly when it comes to women and particularly when it comes to my fellow sisters. So people like Jean, people like, you know, Jean Johansson, who's had on the show, Scarlett Douglas, of course. Scarlett sends her love, by the way. You know, we're, we're, these are my friends. We support each other. And after that situation with Angelica, very early on in my TV career, I swore I would never, ever let the industry, I say in very common day, ever pull me into that situation again. After that happened with Angelica, I've never, it's never happened again because it's just not allowed it to happen. And I won't ever carry that energy or allow that energy to even become a thing. You know, we were green and naive. What the heck did I know about the media industry, the TV industry? in 2000 when I got into it you know it was a case of I got the job I was voted in by the kids on the Friday and I had to move to Birmingham on the Monday and work and there was no training no nothing you just got on with it live telly and I made a fool of myself and I don't mean in a gunging pie in the face kind of way I mean a fool of myself because I didn't know what I was doing and I learned on the job so I had bigger fish to fry. Where it all started getting dark for me was when then, you know, after the kids' TV and kind of feeling a bit used by that a bit um, at the end there, and then went on to, to Disney, loved my Disney years. Disney ended quite abruptly for us, and um, the Americans just came and pulled the plug and just said, no more Disney Channel. And it was like, what? And at first, to be honest, none of us was that worried because I think, again, young, naive, egos and just thinking oh well we'll get more work it's all right and then the phone doesn't ring for about a year and you're like oh my gosh and you realize the depression has crept back in you can, again you can't articulate depression because it's not something that you even recognize don't even know what that is but where it started getting dark was then i started getting into the late night tv and the quiz tv and all those sort of things and whilst i was grateful for the work and um, that's where i started getting really being faced with how difficult it is as a black presenter because I'd have I'd be in meetings with execs and they'd say Leah you know we've got this next big show coming it's going to be a really big show it's going to be a primetime show and you're one of our best presenters but we can't put you on that show because outside of London the viewers they don't like black people and they don't want to see black people on their screen so it's nothing about you personally we're telling you because we like you you know we're just giving you a heads up but um we're blaming on the audience, you know. You're black and black doesn't sell, so we can't put you as the face of one of our shows because you're going to ruin it. That is what killed me. That is what started pricking, you know, started tearing down the walls. That is what then subsequently ended up in me a few years later having a nervous breakdown, being diagnosed with depression, and then subsequently being diagnosed with bipolar some years on. So there's been a price that I've paid throughout this journey. I mean, would I change it? I can't really. I feel like it's part of my purpose, I guess. I get to speak to people like yourself, and hopefully somebody will listen to this and something will happen in a good way that could um, encourage them, maybe, or they could relate to it somehow, or they could feel inspired somehow. So I take it as part of my purpose, but... Again, this is now because I've done work and I'm looking back. At the time, what can I do about the colour of my skin? Big execs are saying at some of the major stations that we know and love, 
having meetings with me. So that shows the level of respect for them to actually have physical meetings with me. They weren't having those with my peers and they weren't having those with some of my white peers either. They were having these meetings with me and not in a bad way. It wasn't in a bad way at all. It was actually, they thought they were being nice. But what they didn't realize was, was I can't do anything about the color of my skin. So what are you leaving me with? You're giving me this gift of nothing of pain because you're saying if it wasn't for the color of your skin, you would be where your peers are now. You'd be with Anton Deck and with Stephen Mohan and with Holly Willoughby and with all the kids presenters that you were with in your CITV days. You would have gotten the opportunity like them, but you can't because of the color of your skin. That would affect anyone after the fifth time of hearing it, surely. Do you remember what those five shows were? What the, the shows I do, but I, you know, there were things that I would just never discuss. There has to be a line to it because you know why, Johnny? I just, I, I'm not someone who's antagonistic. I don't want, I don't need any names cropping up. I, you know, I don't be like, it was that exec and it was that head of this and it was that commission of that. What's the point? These people are probably retired by now <laughs> for a start, you know? And what would be the point? There'd be no point out of it. What we could get out of it is I would tell my story. It's not easy because, you know, you have people go, well, she's got a chip on her shoulder and I never have had. And so that's why I don't bring up names and I try and be a bit vague with the time and what the shows were because it's just not, what's it, what does it prove? Look, look, it the, make the, me the a question... stereotypical, angry black woman? Like, it's just no point. I just feel like it is what it is, but it's sad. Well, no, my point was, because the question that was uh, followed that, and I'm not trying to clickbait you, headline you, etc. I don't care about that at all. The reason <laughs> know, is, is I want to know if it was a show that, because when it comes to TV, right, we have big shows, mm. and those big shows you cannot escape. You see advertisements on billboards everywhere. You see adverts on the TV, on other shows, whereas you're watching them, and you really can't escape it. It's all over the news. Well, there's yeah. shows that literally you knew you were supposed to get, and don't tell me what the show is, but you couldn't escape from it. And I just want to know mentally how that put you because you've got no escape. And then, you know, you're watching t right. TV for desertification to escape your normal day. That's where you're going to relax. And then it's in your face. But on exactly that. So you can imagine then, and then you're out of work on top of it. And you're trying to have all these meetings with these execs and they're taking their time to have a coffee, a sympathetic coffee. You know, they're there, we'll, we'll, we'll make time for her. Just to tell me that, it was heartbreaking. And you go home, you switch on the TV, you see the adverts, and you see the people that they've chosen who didn't have half the experience, and they didn't have half even the personality, or, you know, the things that you know you could have brought. And the only thing was exactly what they were telling you, was the colour of your skin. It broke me. It, it, there was just so long I could hold on to it. I held on for, for a number of years. But one day... I snapped. I actually snapped. And I became severely ill and suicidal. And I tried to take my life and I wanted to take my life. And it was very matter of fact. It was awful. I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish half the stuff I've been through on my worst enemy. I wouldn't. It's a miracle that I'm still here and I'm grateful. And, and I honestly, when I say to you, like, what's happening to me now, like I said, with getting placed in the sun, whatever. That's why you could see the support that online, even just in some of my posts and when I've announced it, the support of people. Because actually it's been viewers, 
people that I meet, people that I've helped, people that I've trained, people that, just people along the way who have believed in me and gone, you're just so good at what you do. And one day, Lee, you just hold on. One day you'll get your break. One day. And the last time I was suicidal, I made a pact to myself that I would hold on a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer and see what happens. And this is what has happened. It's still, it's still mind-blowing to me because I know where I've just come from. When I got this job, I cried for weeks because it was like for the first time in 15 years, it felt, I was able to exhale. Something that is as simple as just breathing out. I realized I've been holding my breath for all these years. I tried letting go. I tried leaving this industry. I'm not, stu- I'm not one of these people that's trying to flog a dead horse. It's like, if they don't want me, they don't want me. I'll just leave. It's okay, fine. Let me go and get a job helping my uncles in their property business. Let me go and, you know, go and do, hello, welcome to Weight Watchers. Hello, can I sell you, you know, bank insurance? I moonlighted. I did it all trying to leave this industry. And every time I left it, something or someone would pull me back. I would get a call for a quiz show. I would get a call for a this or that. Never anything that was going to break any, you know, TV ratings or, do you know what I mean? Nothing that was going to blow anything out of the water, but just enough to bring me back into it. Every time, every time I gave up. Believe you me, I tried because it hurt so much and I couldn't take the pain. But then here was this next person going, but I've seen you or somebody's recommended you. I've heard you're a safe pair of hands. I've heard you're a really good presenter. And actually, I've had some amazing opportunities. Like I said, enough to keep me in the game that I could say I'm a multi-award winning presenter at this point. Without even really breaking through to anything massive as of now with a place in the sun. So it was enough to hold me, but to still hurt me because it was like I was being overlooked still. And then you see the rise of social media and you see all these new people coming through and you see all these influencers and even more so getting overlooked. And you're like, oh my God, oh my God, I need to stop this. I can't do this. I held on one last time. This was my last chance to live. It was, I'm not going to lie to you. And so this is now a story of overcoming adversity, you know? Whatever happens from here, even if the story ended right here and we said goodbye right now, if anyone hears this, this is me saying I gave up a million times telling you I did not want to. It's over. It's over. And I reasoned with myself. I begged myself. You know the good side of your mind, Johnny? And I said, Leah, hold on just a little while longer. And thank God I did. Well, Leah, I want you to hold on a little bit longer. We're going to have to do a part two of you. That's all I've got time for this week on Security and Scuv. There is going to be more of Leah Charles King because there is so much more I need to talk to her about. But for part one, that's the beginning of Leah's journey, okay? You can see on A Place in the Sun on all four and Channel 4. It's an amazing show. Like I said, we've been saying all the way through the show, Scarlett Douglas and Junior Hanson, both dear friends of mine and Leah's are on there as well. Go and watch it. Also, it's great escapism on an afternoon when it's rainy and cold and dark. You've been listening to Security and Secure with me, Johnny Seafoot. If you like what you heard, please do go and rate the podcast. Give it a five-star rating and leave a review. It's really important that you help me get it on the iTunes charts to let people know it's okay to not be okay. That's not the end of Leah Charles King. There is going to be so much more from her. When we talk about her mental health journey, we're going to talk about Jackpoint 20 
24-7, which was a late night casino show I used to watch. We're going to talk about being bipolar and what that involves. And then we're going to talk about a place in the sun. So all that's going to be on part two of Circadian Skirt. So get ready for it, okay? But thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.